At Cambridge University Press and Assessment International Education, we deliver qualifications in more than 10,000 schools and in over 160 countries worldwide. Currently, we have opportunities for teachers to join us as assessment specialists in a wide variety of subjects at Cambridge IGCSE, O-Level and AS and A-Level. Assessment specialists cover a number of roles, including creating exam content, marking answers and moderating candidates' work. Our international reputation for excellence, fairness and reliability rests on the shoulders of assessment specialists. Becoming an assessment specialist is a great professional development opportunity. You will gain a powerful insight into the teaching and assessment of Cambridge qualifications, which you can use to inform your own teaching practice. Understanding exactly how an examination works and what the assessment process is will improve your own teaching in the classroom. With many different opportunities available, there is so much that we can offer. Visit www.cambridgeinternational.org forward slash examiners for more information. Hello there, and thanks for joining me today on another job pod. Today, my guest is Jill Miller, who's Senior Lecturer Emerita in Geography and International Development at the University of Chester. And of course, you were president of the GA from 2019 to 2020. Jill, welcome to JobPod. Thank you very much. It's good to talk to you. We've worked together for quite some time now because I've had 10 years at the GA. And then and then actually I've had, oof, I think it's coming up for six years retirement. And I've never really asked you about your career. You've done, you did 40 years in geography in various different roles before you retired, but yeah, yeah. you really can't say you've retired because you're still <laughs> involved in all sorts of things, from your links with FE to schools to, well, how did you begin? How did it all start and how did you get to where you are? <laughs> well, do you know what? I was thinking about how I started to be a geographer. And when I was choosing my O-levels in those days, my mum said, do geography. And then, OK, I'll do geography. So and then it got to A-level, oh, I'll just do geography. And then I quite liked it. So I ended up at university doing geography. But I'd always wanted to be a teacher. So it was my mum's fault, actually. Blame it on her. So I, I got a job um, interested in a comprehensive school, high school, um, and then became, um, and I absolutely loved it. I really didn't want to move, but then got a job uh, in a, a rural, comprehensive rural high school in Cheshire and became deputy head there. And actually, I mean, I love that job, but I missed the geography because, you know, the, you've got all the other admin stuff to do. And then I had a career, career break with, the, with my second child, our second child. And then sort of looking around, what can I do part time ish? And there were opportunities in FE. Interesting, actually, FE teaching people who didn't get enough high enough grades and wanted to you know, upgrade their A-level. And then eventually, and I did an evening class, you might talk about that later on. Uh, and then eventually um, I did a master's in 2005 and ended up in, in Chi, which I really love teaching development geography, which is fantastic. So it's been really, it's been great. And retirement is just yeah, it was just a kind of a rite of passage, really. <laughs> what got you down to Chester with an accent like yours? You're miles away from home. I know, I know. But I, to be honest, my I live in, a home is Tynemouth in the northeast of England, mouth of the Tyne. 
um, centre of the universe as well. It's absolutely gorgeous. But my boyfriend at the time went to do chemistry at Liverpool. So me being totally besotted, went to Liverpool to do to do geography. And the, the romance didn't last five minutes. Um, and then, and then, <laughs> even worse, I fell in love, madly in love in those days, um, with one of the with one of the lecturers. I mean, you're not allowed to do that these days. Not that he wasn't in geography. So then got married and we lived in Liverpool and then moved to Chester. Uh, in those days, it was cheaper to live in Chester than it was in Liverpool. <laughs> so here I am. And, and I actually, I got a job in, you know, in Chester because it was about the limit of my driving um, the time, you know, journey to work. So on. But it's, a, it's been a great place to live and work. You talked about starting in, in FE. And, and you said we might talk about the A-level, because I think that's quite interesting. You were involved in teaching A-level really quite early in your career, same as me, actually. But I was only teaching to start with. We had really small classes, five or six students, but it was a homogenous group for you. It was an evening class and you were teaching yeah, 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 a really yeah. wide range of ages, which must yeah. have been a real different experience. Yeah, it was great. I mean, because I'm all even when I was in school teaching, I'm very conscious, and even now, I'm very conscious that actually we learn, I learn as much from the class as they give, and they might hopefully learn from me. And I mean, I did day classes in the FE, but at the evening class, I remember having the treasurer of Cheshire County Council came, and then there were single parents, there were people who just wanted to go back in and apply to university. As you say, there were all sorts of things, but we all brought different experiences. So when we're talking about place and migration and, and sustainability and all these, they use their own experiences to share. And actually we learned a lot together, uh, which was which is fantastic. And the, the thing is, if you're gonna pay to listen to me for three hours a week for however many weeks it is, September to, to May, you've gotta be, you know, you've gotta be devoted and, <laughs> and keen. So actually, we had a free time just learning from each other. And, we have, you know, you've got, and the, the students were really motivated, which was huge, a huge help. I've heard you say before, it's not how much stuff you know. <laughs> it's how you use what you know. And it's, I know. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Because if I'm only going to do three hours a week and get through A-level in, you know, eight months or so, it, it can't be just being gripped to the textbook. I mean, they had a textbook. I think it was David Woff in those days. And that was their background. You know, what I was trying to do was get students to look at their own experience. So, you know, if they'd been to an urban area, which of course everybody's been to a town, Chester or wherever it was, wherever it can be, you're looking at the patterns. You you know where the shops are. You know where the charity shops are. You know what so areas of discard and, and then you know where the smart new development is. So or you've been on holiday and you know, you know, what other communities are like um, in, in different parts of the world or even different parts of the UK. So I was really wanting them not to get bogged down with what the book says, but just to think about their own experience, because we can we make geography, don't we? I mean, that, that's what the books are about. The physical geography is perhaps was more, perhaps more challenging. But I mean, most of the people who came to the night class, you know, had been in uh, rural areas and had been in a physical landscape they'd been to the sea or they'd been to you know uh, upland areas so they didn't have to they didn't have to delve into the textbook it was all you know, they, had, they had to think back to their own experience and that made a huge difference and 
I mean, the other thing I remember, I remember doing, forgive me for an example, I remember starting work on the hydrological cycle and I had a few clouds in one corner of the board and a few kind of mountains down at the bottom. We created the hydrological cycle from them. So you know, what happens next? And they began to think like I thought. So we created it together from what I used to say to them, first principles. So you get into the exam, you're faced with a diagram and think, okay, stay calm. I can think this through logically because you know one thing leads same with looking at soil profiles. And we in those days we did things like Bernesems and brown and, and, and brown earths and soil processes. And it all it's all entirely logical if you you know if you just think things through. And that's what I mean by kind of geographical logic. Then there's also the fieldwork thing, of course. Now do you want me to talk about geographical logic and fieldwork? Well, I think that's really important. I've talked to Nick Lapthorne about this times many because, and I've, I've probably said this on a podcast before, but I've had students who've gone and done their A-level fieldwork and come back and said, it's wrong. Oh, oh. It doesn't fit to what the textbooks yeah, say. Yeah. And I'll be saying to them, did you collect the data properly? Did you sample effectively? Yes. Well, then it can't be wrong, can it? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, my heart sinks when the students see that. In fact, um, very, very recently, I was looking at a piece of fieldwork for moderation and um, it was it was just temperature across the sand dune. And and, and it was gradually it was, it was fairly even. But then there's one site which was much higher than any of the other sites. And the commentary in the in the fieldwork is that there must have been a mistake in the recording. Actually, hang on. Let's just think about this. You know, why should there be a mistake? What might have caused it? And, you know, there are, there are other few that don't really sort of think logically about other things which might have affected. It might have been suddenly the, the clouds dispersed and the sun shone at that particular site and, and the temperature rose really very quickly. Or, in the, or there might have been some of the physical factors. But it, it's a shame that they always think it's their fault. And, and it's not. But, but, but sometimes with fieldwork, I find that, I don't know if you found this with, with their fieldwork, but students, they're obsessed with hypotheses and proving things. If, and they seem to think, particularly on rivers, you know, that if they measure two things, they automatically are, are related. So classic example would be velocity downstream. You know, it can easily measure velocity downstream. And then there's boulders, there's bed load in the river. Okay, I'll measure the size of the stones and I'll measure the velocity and I'll see if there's a relationship between the faster the velocity, the bigger the stone. And I'm thinking, right. <laughs> I remember talking to teachers about this and, and when we explored it, their faces just dropped because they just thought this is ridiculous. Because the, when were those stones put in that stream? It wasn't the velocity that they're, my students are there measuring because if it was there would be a health and safety issue you know you don't actually stand on the river and see all the pebbles rushing by nor can you assume that all the pebbles have started up at the head headwaters and got all the way down to the middle section of the river some of them have come from the side of the stream anyway just dropped in but you know there's that kind of assumption that bed load is the same as is related to velocity and that's not geographically logical but students have got to sit back and think hang on a minute is this really good geography and have the confidence to just take a second look and think think about it really carefully because again they end up trying to prove the unprovable they end up trying to prove the wrong thing that can't be done 
The same happens with human geography. Sometimes it's very difficult to prove something which happens. The human behaviour is very fickle. It is difficult to have that confidence. I, I remember we always went to Scotland for our holidays. My dad was Scottish. And I remember standing, looking down at a, a meandering stream in the middle of the Northwest Highlands, wherever we were, and thinking, well, I've just done this in geography. This would have been third year, I suppose, or Y9 of now, and thinking, I've just learned that this should only happen down at the... Uh, What's going on here? But not not getting any further than that, really. Yeah, same thing, John, about what you're saying about textbook and not looking at the textbook, because one of the things that I, when I was doing a lot of moderation, I used to find that students had to find something individual. They had to make it their own. And the way they make it it there was do a comparison of one river and another, for instance. And I'll never forget looking at some work. And the, the school at Lochranza, it's on Sky, Lochranza, the Aaron. field centre. Aaron. Fabulous work. It's, it's absolutely great. And then they'd come back and they looked at their local river. Well, it was the river there in Hertfordshire. And that's a chalk stream. So you've got this high rainfall, impermeable rock, Lochranza, with a stream bubbling away. And then you've got a chalk stream. I mean, why would they be similar? You know, why would there be any sense? They can, the, the environment was so contrasting that it was really difficult for them to make sensible comparisons. There were too many differences, actually. Uh, and, and students really kind of struggled to make sensible, you know, sensible comments about it. You did quite a lot with it, with assessment, didn't you? And, and specification development. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I started teaching, I hadn't, but I wasn't clear what the A-level examiners were wanting in the exam. Mm. And I, I had a, a course that was, I think, arranged by our deputy head of the time with an examiner. And it, it made things really much clearer. I think mm. the, the advantage you get from being a marker these days. Absolutely, yeah. But you've been involved much more than that because you've looked at assessment and specification development too. Yes, and it's taken a long time, over 20 years I've been involved in examining. But I remember in, in 1979, possibly, going to an, on a day on a Saturday in York and Mike Witherick was the chief examiner at, ex, at London Examinations in those days. And he actually showed us marked scripts well. That just opened my eyes as to how examiners began to think about, you know, marking the work. It's fantastic. Uh, but then, you know, I got involved in examining and um, it, it's really rewarding, actually, because, you know, from the inside, how better to teach your students and you can learn little tricks of the trade. And then when you get to actually set the papers, that becomes an intellectual challenge as well as a kind of a, a, an ethical challenge, really, that you're setting a paper which is fair and accessible for for all students, whether they're really the brightest or the ones who are just, you know, rocking up and going to get an E. And and also, I mean, I have this really naive feeling uh, that wouldn't it be lovely if students could really get excited about their exam and really enjoy the exam, which actually they should do, because some of the questions are really interesting questions to explore. But I used to, I used to, I used to think when they came out of the exam and they'd say, well, which questions did you do? And they couldn't remember. I mean, did you, you just spent two and a half hours on, how can you not remember what you've done? But yeah, 
I mean, examining this has been has been really really rewarding, and and the and as I say, the intellectual challenge of setting the questions and then seeing your way through not the right answer because there are no right answers there are only relevant answers so leading a team of examiners towards understanding that the students can come with all kinds of different experiences and case studies and perspectives but as long as they're answering the question in a relevant way then that absolutely deserves the credit when I was marking for OCR, that's what which I've done up until this year. That's what we were told, and I, there were some concerns of teachers when we had a physical geography working group where we looked at plate tectonics right a while ago, and we were talking about how the current view is now that, that there aren't convection currents driving subduction. The yeah. subduction is being driven by slab pull, and yes. teachers were getting really yeah. worried that if. Yeah. It's put the new stuff in because it wasn't on the spec yeah would be penalized but you're telling me is that that's wrong well what i'm suggesting is that examiners are up to date and certainly the principal examiner is on the ball and will then guide their examiners on the mark scheme and say you know this is these, these are the new interpretations but actually if students come some of them looking at new interpretations some are looking at old interpretations but whatever perspective they've got as long as they are answering the question then that's that's fair enough interesting the whole exact the whole essay particularly essays that there's only a, a certain block of knowledge that that we can explore because it's in the spec but the challenge is write questions which are always slightly different from the year, previous year or the year before so you know for, for my a-level night class they were they were very successful it wasn't uh, going, going back to what you were saying it wasn't what they knew but it was the way they approached the question so they knew what the command word meant and if it says analyze that's what they did they didn't describe they analyzed but then they also looked at what i would call the slant of the question so if some if the question said they use the word impacts for instance even before they went into the exam they knew what what the potential was for that word impact or consequences or whatever so you know impacts can be positive or negative short-term long-term physical human etc so immediately when they see that slant of the word they've got lots of different aspects that they can talk about and the other thing i used to say to them whatever you do use the words from the question in your answer because it's flagging up to the examiner that, yeah, we're on piece here. You know, I am answering the question that, that you've set. And I think that's, that's really, it's, it's very simple advice. But I didn't feel that sometimes the students, you know, kind of recognise that. Well, I used to stop partway through teaching and say, right, I'm, I'm not teaching any more geography now. I'm going to teach you how to pass this exam. Yeah, yeah. Some of the, some of the tricks that you'll need. Yes. Yes. So while I've got you captive, because <laughs> you've given us a few, what other hints or, or, or messages would you like to share with with teachers or students to to up your grades by a couple because you're playing the game properly? Well, um, one of the things the students used to say to me was, um, "How many case studies do I need to know?" And, you know, you go into a textbook and there are case studies for absolutely everything. And so one message to make it easier for students would be to reduce the number of case studies, because one example 
has got lots of aspects of geography that you can use. Just because you looked at um, an urban area in terms of kind of perhaps um, uh, land use patterns, doesn't mean to say you can't look at the same urban area in terms of uh, migrants or um, in terms of uh, sustainability or pollution or, or, or whatever. So, you know, making the case studies work is one thing. Absolutely do not tell the story. I mean, there are loads and loads of students out there who are going to roll out Mount St. Helens again. Okay, I know it's a long time ago, and that's perhaps an issue in itself. But, you know, we don't need to know the story of Mount St. Helens. We need to know the little, the few facts about, about Mount St. Helens, which are relevant to a particular question and slant of the question. So I used to say to my, my night class students, if you find yourself writing more than five lines on a particular example, you've got to stop. And you've got to think, is this too much description or am I making the case study work for the question? So that's what I would, people would say to me, well, how much of the case study do I need to know? If you can put some notes on a piece on a piece of paper, a page of A4, that's plenty. And you just need to know, I mean, one or two facts, perhaps a, a date or a, a high rainfall or one, it depends on the case study, but if one or two facts that actually show that you do know something about a place or an, uh, an event, that just gives it a lot more street cred, that it gives it a lot more weight. And at the worst, I mean, this is terrible. I mean, we're podcasting to the, the nation. So the examiners are going to hit me for this. But if you don't know how, if you don't know how wet it is, make it up. You know, whatever you do, don't say it's very wet. I mean, that's a no-no. Okay, how you've done you've done geography for two years or even four years. How how wet is wet? So okay, two thousand millimeters. It's a ballpark figure. But the fact that a student puts that in, it raises the game and it raises the kind of um, impression that oh, this student knows what they're talking about. And if in doubt, if in doubt, guess because I mean that's a terrible thing to say, isn't it, as an examiner? But we're not going to take marks off for a wrong guess, but a right guess or, a, you know, in the right ballpark is going to get you a lot of, of street cred. So I would say make use of case studies. Don't make them too long. Put facts in. And if you don't know the facts, make, make an inspired guess. Don't make them up. Use your geographical logic and to think, well, what's the right, you know, what would be a sensible guess to make it more um, plausible? Oh yeah. Yeah, the key is being holistic as well, isn't it? About bringing lots it of is. lots of perspectives on something, which is also thinking like a geographer. It, it, it is. Might I, I suggest might be what led you to develop and lead the A level in world development with the WJAC. Yeah. That might be yeah. Your thinking. Yes, I mean it was an opportune moment that um, I was interested in development. And for meeting people and and contacts with WJ, would they be interested in me getting involved in this particular A level? So we wrote it, and and you can't look at development issues as you say from from just one perspective. You know, okay, there's there's, there's a physical perspective to it, climate change, but there's social and political and 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 um, cultural. And uh, what we were trying to do was to get students to understand. The issues from a, a, a variety of perspectives, because actually that is the world out there, isn't it? I mean, we look at we've got migration, we've got 
we've got currently, uh, we've got a bill that's gone through, or is it in Parliament, about, about the borders bill, I think it's just been passed. And there's issues about Rwanda and sending migrants out. The news presents kind of one perspective, but actually what geographers are good at is thinking about all kinds, all aspects of it. You know, the economic, the social, the cultural, the political aspects to bring together that holistic understanding. Because I think it's really important that it's what makes geographers very employable, actually, because when they go into the workplace, they're not just thinking I'm a physical geographer or I know about, you know, social things. I can actually bring all these other things together. I think that's one of our strengths. It does help us understand as well. I, I, I was just listening to a programme last night on the radio, and it was a woman from Moldova talking about her mother. And right. her mother's lived in three different countries. She's never moved, but she's lived oh, in three right. countries. <laughs> Russia, <laughs> Moldova. <laughs> and Bulgaria. I think Bulgaria, it was, was it right. Romania. Right, okay. Oh, I'm going to show my ignorance now because I can't remember which one it was. <laughs> right. But the, the, the border changes, like with, with, with countries like Poland, have been amazing, which we don't necessarily get a grasp of unless we look at geography and historical context. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. And then, and then it comes back to, to, to space and place, and places don't have this single identity, which is what, partly where you started. It's about yeah. the lived experience of a place. Yes. Now yes. different people experience it differently. That, that's right. And actually, historically, we've got um, a, a lot to uh, to explain. In t- I mean, the, the colonial issues and the, and the Black Lives Matter and all that kind of general debate. I mean, we as colonists and, and particularly as the Brits, we've got a lot to answer for in terms of what goes on in and the stresses and the and the tensions in culture between different in different areas which are across which are between countries, you know. So you know, you know, you look at you look at the African continent, and of course there are straight lines because that's what we decided. It was very convenient to divide divide countries, you know, along lines of latitude and longitude, but completely inappropriate in, in terms of culture and identity. And so no wonder there are these tensions across borders because people don't see the border, and in many cases in in, in sub-Saharan Africa there is no border to see because it's it's just empty land. So there are, and and then the traditional patterns of migration, and you know where where you've got pastoralists who are moving with their goats and flocks and so on. They they they're not worried about borders. They just think about land and their their social cohesion. And then politicians came along and wrecked everything. <laughs> yes. I've just been talking about a line in the sand, and I'm reading a book called A Line in the Sand. Is that Tim Marshall? Is that Tim Marshall? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very, very interesting book about about borders and 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 geography. One of his first ones, and it you know it takes it takes a number of countries uh, in each uh, one in turn. And I mean, it, it's a bit historical, but you know, there's a lot to say. Oh, crumbs! There's our, our political um, forebears often ignored the geography, the physical geography. And I suppose one of the things that I think in the old days you said, well, where you were determinist. As a geographer, and I think I am a determinist because I think I I do believe that the environment does determine what our lifestyle is like. So in in the UK, we you know we're in temperate forests, and we have rain all year, and we have hot and cold, and you know winters and summers, and and that actually influences the way we operate. Uh, but if we were living in 
uh, Nairobi, it, it's wet and dry and it's hot all the time. And that influences the way societies evolve. So, in a, and then if you're near a river or near a coast, I think the physical landscape does determine what what sort of lifestyle you, you lead and the culture and the, and the economy that you that you have. So in that way, I am I am a determinist. But then overriding all that, of course, technology and societies become more sophisticated and they try to get rid of all the physical geography. But it's always there, isn't it? And then climate change comes along and reminds us. <laughs> I'm going to take you across the border now, then, seeing as we're talking about borders. And into Wales. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, good old Wales. Yeah, I love it. Should, I, should, I should learn to speak Welsh, really, after all the time I spent in Wales. Well, I know. I, I thought perhaps you might be able to. Um, <laughs> Sadly. <laughs> you chair the, the Geographical Association's Wales Special Interest Group. Yes. Yeah. Because for those English teachers who don't know, it's an entirely different curriculum. Completely different. Yeah. And it's, an, it's a new curriculum is starting now and then it moves into 2022 so uh, in the relatively recent past there's been a there was a review of curriculum in Wales to try and raise standards and there has been a lot of development of called the curriculum for Wales and it was about co-construction it was about teachers and schools having ownership of their curriculum within a national framework so it started off nationally how do you organize your curriculum and and uh, I was part of the humanities group so there were there are areas of learning experience and I was involved in the humanities one and it that is the history geography business studies social studies and RE and we've got these what we call what matters statements which apply to every every part of the humanities and then there's maths and science they've got what matters and then there's design and technology and they've got their what matters statements and so on and this this applies from um the from primary absolutely year six to 16 all the way through and it took a long time because teachers came from all over wales to discuss and to you know evolve these statements and then and then they, they were out for consultation and back again back and forwards and backwards but they're there and now we've got this curriculum and teachers have got to take the what matter statements and use them in their school and communities as a scaffold, really. So they say, well, this is our uh, local situation. We're making our curriculum relevant for our students, but we've got these, we've got to fit into these overarching what matter statements. So the issue really has been, do you teach humanities as humanities or do you keep your individual subjects? geography history re and so on and schools are doing different things depending on what their heads and their community and their feeder schools and so on want, want to do so as uh, chair of sig wales with our other sig wales teacher colleagues we've been quite concerned about where geography is going to fit in and we've had a little group of working uh, from this time last year actually and over the summer to produce some what, what we call scaffolds so we've taken some big th- themes which are quite common in schools across Wales so things like stewardship or conflicts or globalization inequality water you know things like that and we've put a put forward a, um, a, a series of powerpoints and we've shown how I hope we've shown how if you take say journeys this is where history can fit this is where RE can fit this is where social studies can fit but this is where geography can fit 
And we've then taken the ethnography and developed that in quite a lot of detail so that teachers who are not necessarily specialists, that, that's a, a challenge, you know, they're, they're, they might be trained in other, in other disciplines. And they are, they were just trying to help them to show them where the geography can actually be to try and, to try and make sure the geography has an, has an identity in the school. Because it's, it would be too easy for a, a teacher to say, well, I'm, I'm really a historian, I'm teaching humanities, and I'm only going to teach it from a historical perspective. And it's un- completely understandable. The geographers might think the same about history. They don't know very much about history, so they're not going to teach very much about history. So we try to support teachers in, in that sense. And literally now, over the last, uh, from October until, well, the end of May, I've been working with uh, Qualifications Wales to develop the new GCSE, which is evolving from Curriculum for Wales. So, I mean, it's no use having a, a brand new curriculum in, in the lower school and in primary, and then having a completely different approach at GCSE. So the whole thing is eventually going to be seamless. And you know, over the years, everybody, it starts with your first primary and first year and secondary, and the, the cohorts are moving up adopting curriculum for Wales so it's not in September 2022 everybody's doing it it's just gradually working up through the through the system but the proof will be in the pudding if it works the essence is to explore I think understand explain and celebrate the local within a global context it's about knowing your place it is and it's not just knowing about places, it's responding to local priorities and local concerns as well. So if you were in Pembrokeshire, for instance, the, the kind of concerns and the experiences of your community would be very different if, to, to a mining village uh, or the state mines have been Lamberis or whatever. You know, your, your perspectives are, are different. So it's, it's trying to accommodate that within the, the a sense of the Wales curriculum uh, and there's some sort of coherence, overarching coherence, that actually schools are free to organise their curriculum as they see fit. So some schools are going to be teaching humanities in years, say, seven to nine and secondary, integrated, which is there's a lot to commend it, provided the geography is identified, of course, but then other schools are going to say, well, that doesn't suit us. That, and they're going to deliver the different subjects in a slightly different way. But the, the concern always is that the identity of the subject, as we are, we're talking as geographers, we want to make sure that geography is, people understand what geography is and the importance of geography. I think everybody should teach geography. or should, should learn about geography, actually. Like I thought everybody, just going back to world development, I really did think that world development should be compulsory in six forms. I really did. And I kind of still do. Because the issues of the world are, are absolutely, absolutely, you know, full and centre of, of that specification. And we want students to go out and be able to be informed and concerned and ethical citizens. And that's that specification delivered. Well, I agree with you. Um, there wasn't a, a spec like that when we were when I was teaching, but we insisted for a while students did general studies. Yes, because oh, I remember general studies. Yes. Where else would you meet some great literature or great art if you're a physicist yeah. or a mathematician? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Really important. Um, but in geography now, I think even in the current day level in, in England and, uh, and in Wales now, there's because we've got place, I mean, there's opportunity and identity, there's opportunities to bring in relevant literature that actually, the things like the, the um, Tim Marshall's books, 
um, and other literature which actually have some relevance. So when borders of geography are actually quite porous, aren't they? You know, where does geography end and literature start? You know, you could you could read a, a terrific book on the Nile and it, it's, it's a travelogue, but actually there's loads of geography in there. Or you could read it. I mean, I remember reading White Tiger and, and about India. And oh, wow, the geography in here is absolutely fantastic. So there's a lot of literature which actually geographical knowledge actually enhances our understanding of the on pleasure of the book. Well, this really sort of echoes your presidential lecture, doesn't it? Geography really matters. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you, yes. You, you've said now and, and again, it, it, it's, it's valuable to step back, which you've just reflected there, and, and look at the centrality of geography to everything. Yes. Yeah. We've got to be careful that we don't lose the geography, because if I've, I've seen this before, of course, geography is everywhere. Well, if it's everywhere, it's nowhere. It's nothing. Yeah, 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 quite. But I mean, I think... I think in my lecture, I was talking about geography personally, and I don't think we really appreciate. I mean, I don't think people go around thinking, oh, what, what sort of person am I? You know, what makes me? But actually, you know, if you, if occasionally, if you're walking in a place that you really like and identify with. So for me, going home to Tynemouth or even, you know, walking around Chester, I'm thinking, yeah, this is. This is my place and I'm secure in this place. And, and it gives me a sense of security and confidence because I know this place and, you know, I begin, I understand it and so on. And, and, and that is that is geography, you know, that sense of identity. But, but equally, I think it's, it's important to us as individuals, but it's important to us as, as a nation. I mean, we, you know, we have these big policies that come from governments and, and the one at the moment, you know, refugees may possibly be sent to Rwanda. Well, I mean, that's a that's a massive debate and a, a huge policy. And, you know, we are and we are a democracy, so we should be able to and we vote for particular parties with particular policies. And we need to understand the background. It's a, it's a bit like, and this is really sad for our the people who are listening to this, but I have to say, one of my favourite programmes is Newsnight. Now, they have some of the really um, nitty problems and they have short sort of films uh, you know, and, and reports from their, their journalists. And I think that informed geographers need to understand the background between what they say. So there might be an economic perspective and there might be a, a, a cultural perspective. There might be some identity. We need to be able to go beyond what they're saying for five or six minutes on a little film and appreciate the issues behind it all. Uh, and I keep thinking about migration. One thing that occurred to me, John, was at the, the latest conference we've just had. I had the pleasure of introducing uh, a great speaker called Parag Kanna. I don't know if you've seen it on the... And he's a global influencer. And he was talking about migration and how that's going to really change the world. And there were two there were two drivers. One was climate change and one was demography. And he, was, he used this wonderful term and it's, he called it an oasis zone. And yes, he had the world map. And he said, actually, that Western Europe was an oasis zone because it's the zone where we're going to have a bit of climate change, but we're not going to have the mass desertification of what's going to occur in other parts of the world. So people are going to move towards this oasis zone, which happens to be Western Europe, mid-latitudes, temperate areas. And you know, as geographers, we need to understand why that is likely to occur. So it's not just people, not just economic. But behind the, behind the economic, there's the drivers of climate 
that are making people desperate to move and you know, to see to understand the culture that is driving people from one place to another now that's kind of a far far away from what i was saying about geography being important at a national scale but it enables us to have empathy and some understanding of of what's happening in other parts of the world with then impact on us it makes the case for for geography very eloquently it doesn't it but you have said in the past that geography faces areas of challenge and it has in 1987 keith joseph was minded not to put it into the national curriculum. <laughs> yes. and, and the How could he possibly? <laughs> and then Gove did exactly the same and was thinking, shall we have yeah. history rather than geography? Yeah, 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 absolutely. There are still areas of challenge, aren't there, for geography? Absolutely. And in many ways, I mean, we've got some really good advocates. Haven't, you know, we've had Michael Palin and we've had David Attenborough, of course, and we've and we've had Chris Packham, and then we've had even people like Caroline Lucas, have said, you know, how, how important geography is. We're all getting excited about issues like climate change and sustainability and trees and carbon, carbon cycles and all that kind of stuff, which is good. But that's only one little part of the overall understanding of the way the world works at the moment. And we only ever get sound bites from the press or social media or, you know, TV programmes that last an hour. I really think that, you know, it's not just students either. It's it's when our good pupils and students leave us and they become adults with their own families, that they're becoming the voters and they have conversations with people, their social groups and their children. And they, they're being faced with all these different issues. And I think geography helps them have a sense of perspective on these things. There was a, there's a really interesting article about Chris Packham wrote. He wrote this article called Trouble in Paradise. And it, it was kind of reflecting on all those wonderful nature TV programmes that David Attenborough does so brilliantly. And, it, you know, he's saying, well, hang on a minute. That little bit of paradise is really, really tiny. And really, 95% of the world is pretty under stress. And perhaps we were doing ourselves... Uh, a disservice it's putting out on the bbc on the itv whatever um how how wonderful paradise is but it's not it's not giving us a sense of perspective of how how tiny that paradise is <laughs> so so we need to say we need to wake up and say we okay we need to protect the paradise but we need to have an understanding that actually we've got to take some responsibility for it so understanding that the big issues i think geographers have got an ability to draw everything together and, and help us help your public understand how to respond to all these uh, world pressures physical and human it becomes very difficult when you're talking about geography in a school curriculum because we haven't got an awful lot of space no and it's no. Such a huge subject i know and that's one of the things that are literally this week and last battling with in in wales with the new gcse in wales because long list of topics you know there's all sorts of things but you've only got a gcse that has a you know limited size. What do you leave in and what do you leave out? And teachers have their pet areas. I mean, it makes a lot of sense for schools in Wales, in Pembrokeshire, to look at both. So it makes a lot of sense for students in in Snowdonia and North Wales to look at glaciation. But on the other uh, hand, it also makes 
a lot of sense for students at the coast to also study glaciation so that they get that <laughs> contrasting environment so exactly so do you leave out well goodness knows i mean it's it, it's co it's co-construction so our discussions on friday actually are going to be you know what's going to be the key core bit of geography what's going to be left out i suppose what what i would love to feel i really would love to feel that students are so are interested enough in geography that when they've left the study the formal examinations and all that they will actually still explore geography so they will still explore contrasting environments they're not going to pick up a geography textbook but they're going to use their eyes and see other go on holiday and see other environments and i think i wonder why that's like it is oh, oh, oh that's interesting how unusual is that oh i don't know about that but ask questions about where they you know where they're going i used to think when I took students in a minibus out to field, they would they get in the bus and they put a paper bag over their head and they'd get out the other end and they've arrived, they've done their field work and they go back home and they've no idea where they went. And I'm wanting students and therefore adults to open their eyes and and go, wow, and be curious and you know, search out explanations and reasons why things are like they are and you know what's the underlying message and what are the causes of these things a curiosity that's what i want students to have i was doing some field work with the worldwide challenge weekend all oh, right and we were in blencathra we took some students down the stream down to, to one of the streams that the, the overarching question is what makes this a special place yeah and they had some geography that they were collecting, some work they were collecting. But we were down by the stream and they had ranging poles and they had measuring tools and they had various different bits and pieces. And these three girls were just sitting, doing nothing. So my geography head came on for a second, my geography teacher head, and I wandered over. Luckily, luckily, I just said, what, what's, what are you doing, girls? What's happening? And they said to me, we're city girls. We've never oh, started beside yeah. a stream. Yeah. Yeah. Listen to the listen water. Listen to the water. Yeah, yeah. Listen to the wind in the trees. Yeah. And I was thinking, well, how wonderful. And I nearly, I nearly said, you should be doing some work. And they were. They yes. were just appreciating yes. the landscape. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And so for me, I would, if I was going to be another job teacher, I would have, okay, so what do you make of this? And that's a bit odd. Or, you know, I wonder why that's like it is. If, you know, looking across the river up the slope up the other side and there's a bit of slumping or something, there's always something. To, oh, well, I wonder why that's like it is. Or I wonder when that happened. Or I wonder when that really big boulder got in that stream, that boulders and stream. You know, I wonder how long it's been there. I mean, you know, just curiosity about them. And then you start thinking, I mean, about, I mean, even if you pick up a pebble on the beach, have you ever thought when you pick up a pebble? I wonder where that pebble's been. You know, particularly pebble, you know, if it's got a little white line through it, a, a, a marble or quartz line through it. Wonder which came first, the line or the, the, the quartz line or the pebble rock. And I mean, you know, they've come at the coast uh, as kind of second nature, but there's always bits of curiosity about the environment. I mean, you're going, going down to Shrewsbury and all the little nooks and crannies and little passages that you oh, I wonder why that's like it is. And so, and it's, it's all good geography. Curiosity is a wonderful thing. I mean, we might be wrong in our amusing, of, you know, thinking things through, but it doesn't matter. It's just that sense of 
the senses are alive to the environment that we're in, which is really, you know, how can you go through life not being tuned in? It's sad, isn't it? It is really. I, I pinched a line from Doreen Massey when we were up there. She talked about uh, people passing through space, travellers passing through space. Right, right. And she, she talked about where we are. And so Blencathra is also passing through space because yes. it's also sat south of the equator. Yeah. Yeah, yes. And moved north. Yes, yes. And on its journey, you look across and you see the Borrowdale volcanics and all the normally yeah, yeah. volcanoes. Yes. And so I said that to the students, and a couple of them came after, came back to me afterwards to talk about it. So we'd never really thought about it like that. Right, right. It yeah. was just a different way of looking. Yes. A way of understanding. Yes. But, but actually, it might be, you know, the, the pandemic has done us a bit of a favour. In, in that sense, because, you know, our, our towns, our places are different now than they were two years ago. And that's, a, you know, palpably different. And it's in the student experience. So it's a very short term change, but they can, they can perhaps begin to reflect that places aren't are mobile and they do change over time. I mean, you're talking, we're talking the kind of geological time, but actually... This this pandemic has been a bit of a marker in terms of shopping habits and work habits and travel and all sorts of things, environment and listening to the birds uh, when it was so quiet and so on. And it, it does indicate how places do change in, uh, over even over quite a short time. It's been in their experience, so they can apply that hopefully to longer term, which would be good. Your link with the, with the countryside and with field work and with getting outside is also expressed not just through your work and through the Geographical Association, but you've also been involved for a long time as a trustee with the Field Studies Council. You've yes. done lots of other trustee work, haven't you? Yes, yes, I have. I started off with a wonderful organisation called MAG. Not, not the motorcycle group, but it's a group called the Mines Advisory Group. And they have their headquarters in Manchester. And it's through my work at, at the university. After, uh, we had a speaker and then he asked me if I'd join the board. And the Mines Advisory Group are amazing because they decommission small arms and light weapons. So, I mean, I know now that they will be working in Ukraine because people can't go back to their homes because of all the, the bombs, the, the remnants of war. And then came off of that about eight years. And I was a trustee of a, an organisation called Five Talents. I've just finished some time with them. A microfinance charity, Christian microfinance charity, um, looking uh, to raise money from donors in the city of London and the UK to provide grants to support small groups and, and many women to set up their own businesses in uh, East Africa. Board experience is really quite transferable because I became a trustee of the Field Studies Council. And again, there's certain governance issues that, you know, are experience you can bring from one board to another. And of course, the, the Geographic Association, the president is on the, the governing body for four years. And you can, you know, I can bring my governance experience. It is interesting seeing how organisations operate from the inside. But it's good. Yeah, it's good to be able to use your expertise in whatever way you can, really. I have a reputation, I'm afraid, for asking questions. I mean, there's nothing worse sitting around and, and having a presentation by you know, one of the officers or the staff, and then nobody says anything. So we're, we're there to be critical friends and supportive. And I think that probably that comes from teaching, because, there's, you know, yourself, you just said it with your students and the, and by the river. 
you know, we're always good for a question or two, aren't we, geographers? Because we're always curious and uh, pushing people to think think a little bit more about about the world. That's almost where I think we should stop because that's a real high. I'm going to ask you one last question, really, because I think that was a lead into it. Right. <laughs> what do you think the future of geography is going to be? This is a massive question, right? What do you think the future of geography is going to be? And what comments would you make to new teachers coming into the profession now? What's the future of geography? The future of geography is nothing if the geography community don't stand up and be counted. We've absolutely got to get out there and say geography is really, really important. I mean, we can't we can't decry the value of history and other subjects, but we've got to fly the flag for geography and we've got to claim to be geographers and how and how many people who are in the public eye become meteorologists or physicists specialists or whatever but they've, they've started off as geographers or they've gone into marketing or or wherever but they've had that geography background so i think the future of geography is never going to be safe we've always got to be advocating for what we're about and we've got to tell the general public the value of geography and that that's absolutely critical but the general public have all been to school, haven't they? We've all been there. We've all had some experience of geography. So for new teachers, at least new teachers have got to get up there and live their geography. Don't teach geography if you're not passionate about it. I mean, I used to say to my students who came to live to Chester to do international development and their induction, and I'd say to them, it's lovely to see you. You're very, very welcome, but please... Don't stay on that course if you are not passionate about international development because you're on the, you're in the wrong place. So don't teach geography unless you really, really want to share all the different aspects of the subject because it, it's so interesting and rewarding to bring all these different perspectives together and to let young people help young people think like you think. But you know, the young teachers have got to educate their pupils and students so that when they leave school and go off and do anything but geography they still think like geographers even though they don't realize it but it's so fundamental you know these issues that we have are all geographical issues and we have this capacity to bring things together so I mean I think geography is only safe if our new teachers get out there and and inspire their young people and not to be afraid of the textbook I mean you know once it's written that's fine other people can read but just look at what we've got you know in our minds and our experience and use that to say oh wow isn't that curious isn't that interesting what do you think about that oh that was what happened yesterday did you see that that was amazing that's why this not what we want people to do forgive me if i'm wrong but i think that's what i wanted to do no that's that's perfect piece of advice (laughs) (laughs) and probably a perfect place to stop That was wonderful. Thank you very much for chatting to us today. That's been a real pleasure. Thank you. That's very kind of you. Thank you, John. Thanks very much for the invitation.